Hello, everyone, and welcome back to James Cameron's Titanic Scene by Scene. I'm Brittany Butler. I'm Ethan Brim. And now we are moving on to Ode to Titanic, uh, which is an amazing, amazing scene. But before we get to that, I want to read another listener letter here. This is from Manuel. And he writes to us and says, Dear Brittany and Ethan, I've just finished listening to the podcast. I think this was like our introduction episode. Um, And I just wanted to say thank you. It's been amazing listening to how you felt when you watched Titanic for the first time. I was six when the movie was released, so I didn't watch it in the cinema. My uncle lent us a VHS tape, uh, and I became so obsessed and watched it so much that he eventually gifted it to us. Ha 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 ha. I watched it every day, and I had my own theories of every scene in the movie. Needless to say, it is my favorite movie. I've never watched another movie so magnificent. I mean, there isn't a movie that has combined CGI and real shots so subtly that you can't notice if what you're watching is real or not, period. I'm from Spain, so I'm not a native English speaker. Titanic, both the movie and the actual ship, is one of the reasons I decided to improve my English, so I would never have written this message if Titanic hadn't impressed me the way it did keep going manuel that's cool that's awesome so picking up where we left off with ode to titanic here this scene starts off with molly brown boarding the titanic at cherbourg france which is historically accurate and she's boarding from the nomadic which i always wondered when i was younger i was like what's that little ship next to the titanic in that scene i'm like why is there a baby titanic next to the titanic when i was little i just didn't get it actually when i was little i thought it was like a weird shadow situation or something i don't know wait she boarded from that i guess i didn't really catch that Mm mm-hmm okay So, and it's pretty cool because the Nomadic, it's been restored and you can tour it. It's like docked right outside the Titanic Belfast Museum, um, which is really cool. That's super Um, cool. it, It was built as like a Titanic sister ship. Yeah, she was, I'm looking it up right now again. The Nomadic was built to transfer passengers and mail to and from RMS Olympic and RMS Titanic. And it is the only White Star Line vessel in existence today. But it was, like, significantly smaller, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) Super small. I think it only has, like, one funnel, and, yeah, it's like a little baby, little baby thing. That's uh, where Molly Brown boarded from. So, again, this is kind of, like, you know, general public educational stuff (laughs) you know yeah and even some of this stuff is a little wrong so apparently molly brown was only called molly brown after the sinking her name's margaret tobin brown oh i didn't realize that okay so that's a little something there that's not entirely accurate i know that bothers some people but they did get it right that history would call her the unsinkable molly brown And one thing I always noticed about this was her Louis Vuitton luggage. Okay, yeah. That she has, because my mom's always been very into fashion and stuff like that. Mm. So ever since I was little, I just recognized it that it was Louis Vuitton <laughs> luggage. And it wasn't until this moment where I was like, is that possible? I just started thinking of when Louis when Vuitton, Vuitton might have yeah. become a uh, thing. Interesting. But I did look it up. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if the real Molly Brown had Louis Vuitton luggage or not, but Louis Vuitton was founded in 1854 
in Paris. Wow. And I think it's interesting because Molly is boarding from France, and back then, rich people especially would go and buy the latest fashions and stuff directly from France. Yeah, they'd France. go to France, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I like to think that maybe she just bought that luggage and she's, oh, that's cool. you know, using yeah. it brand new to yeah. board Titanic. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. I wonder, yeah, I wonder if that was based on, like, some finding that she had Louis Vuitton or something. That's really random. Yeah, I don't just, know. If you guys know, let us know in the comments section. Yeah, please let us know. I don't want to sound like Molly some... Brown's Louis Vuitton. Yeah, yeah I don't want to sound like some uneducated Titanic enthusiast. <laughs> also, she's, like, my favorite character in this movie. Oh, yeah, she's the best. And, you know, that's another thing here um, that I had written in my notes is that she's a really... A beloved character in this movie mm-hmm. and she's also like one of the most famous Titanic survivors as well yeah. uh, because of her character in real life too you know she was known and said to be this very you know warm outspoken woman and I also think that her role in this movie is interesting because she pretty much bridges the gap between the classes. I wrote that actually because she's quote unquote new money, as yeah. Rose's mother refers to her as. She she wasn't rich her whole life. Her husband struck gold, and then what do you know? Now I'm rich. So, yeah. <laughs> so she sort of has one foot in in both worlds, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak. But yeah, I think it's just the fact of not being born with a silver spoon in your mouth and being able to relate and understand where some of the other classes might be coming from, which comes in handy later on Mm. when she strikes up that little relationship with Jack. Yeah, she sympathizes with him in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that was uh, an interesting, you know, way to use her character in this specific fictionalized story. Well, and she knows that maybe Jack will be rich someday so you can't just oh, yeah. treat somebody a certain way because of who they are now or who they mm-hmm. were or whatever you just have to treat them as a person he could end up like her or he could you know I don't know interesting yeah. so after this introduction to Molly Brown we get another voiceover from Old Rose where she says by the next afternoon we were steaming west from the coast of Ireland with nothing out ahead of us ocean <laughs> and um we get this shot of the little teeny teeny tiny titanic that's like a really far uh wide helicopter shot just sailing in the middle of the beautiful blue ocean like rose says nothing out ahead of them but just open sea just this tiny little ship but in this scene it seems very grand like a titanic is small in this scene comparatively speaking to the ocean but yeah it still feels big in that moment, and I'm going to just mention this now because I'm not going to wait until we get all the way towards the end of the movie to mention this again. This is kind of like a parallel to a shot that we see during the sinking. There's a really haunting shot where Titanic is sinking, the bow is going down, like it's just towards the beginning of the sinking, so it's still pretty much level. Um, but the bow is slowly sinking and they're sending off the, um, the distress flares mm. and they cut to the same sort of angle and helicopter shot, except this time Titanic is still in the middle of blackness with no one around them, and they're just completely yeah. isolated. The flares are going up to nobody. 
And yeah, you know what idea. I mean? It's I made that connection recently and I was like, wow, it's just sort of like the same exact shot, but it just means and feels completely different. Yeah. Well, like the first one, the first shot, this one is kind of like foreshadowing in a way, like mm-hmm. even though the Titanic is huge, like it's up against something that's virtually infinitely bigger mm-hmm. than it. So it's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, so this kicks off, like, the true Ode to Titanic sequence, which I love this. It's perfect. Everything about this sequence, I just love it. To a degree, there's almost not a lot of dialogue as well. There are definitely other sequences in the movie that have, like, no dialogue at all that are really, really powerful and show how good of a visual storyteller James Cameron actually can be. Um, Because I know, you know, we've talked about it a lot that people don't like his dialogue and whatever, and it can ruin something sometimes or whatever. Um, But there are these moments, you know, where he's like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to write. I'm just going to show you what I can do with a camera and a vision and everything. And I think he's so great at that. And this is one of those scenes that there's sparse dialogue, Um, but you get everything just from you know, all the shots he gives us here. So we see like all of the inner workings of the ship, the engines, the captain, the officers. This is really mainly showing us how the ship works, getting to appreciate the majesty and how grand and powerful the Titanic was and how like infinite the captain and um, everyone must have felt. And I think we get that as well with Fabrizio and Jack. I think that's a really important part of the scene too is of course this is the I'm the king of the world scene but you know before even before that it's so uplifting and the score here I love it too so yeah I was gonna say the score really punctuates everything you're saying Mm mm-hmm and uh yeah there's actually let me see in this in the screenplay here I don't think the score was written yet at this point um But, you know, James Cameron was basically writing out how he imagined the score would sound. And I guess, you know, James Horner made that happen. So I'll read a little excerpt of this. The whole thing plays out pretty much exactly as it's written. So it says, cut to exterior of the bow, daytime. The ship glows with the warm, creamy light of late afternoon. Jack and Fabrizio stand right at the bow, gripping the curved railing so familiar from images of the wreck. Jack leans over, looking down 50 feet to where the prow cuts the surface like a knife, sending up two glossy sheets of water. On the bridge, Captain Smith turns to First Officer William Murdoch, and then it's the quote, take her to see Mr. Mur- Mr. Murdoch, uh, let's stretch her legs. Murdoch moves to the engine telegraph lever t- uh, to all ahead full. And then it says, now begins a kind of musical slash visual set piece, an ode to the greatest ship. The music is rhythmic, surging forward with a soaring melody that addresses the majesty and optimism of the ship of dreams. I specifically liked the word optimism because it's true. This was this massive ship. Everyone was so excited about it. It was like the crowning achievement of the White Star Line, you know? And so that's why I really love the addition of Jack and Fabrizio in this scene. You know, instead of having it just be about, like, look at how strong the Titanic is. They put the passengers, like, like our two characters, into this situation where they're feeling infinite as well. There was another quote from James Cameron. I think he was referring to this scene um, where he said, you know, it's another thing in order to appreciate 
the disaster. Like you need to get to that place where like disaster and doom are so impossible to conceive, mm-hmm. you know, that it's just the furthest thing from your mind, yeah. uh, which is clearly what, you know, it's, it's what we were talking about before in departure and, um, and South ha- Southampton, I think living, not being concerned with when you're going to die. It's the same sort of thing, just on a much larger scale for me. You know, it's Jack standing at the bow of the ship and he's so, he's so enthralled by the littlest and simplest things like the dolphins that yeah. he sees like swimming it's just like whoa look at that Woo-hoo-hoo. Look, at look at it jump <laughs> look at it jump there's something about that it's just so pure i think that's another thing of why some people today can't appreciate the movie because we are so damn cynical today that it's like you know people see scenes like this and it's like that's cheesy <laughs> But to me, I'm like, this is just so pure. This is just so happy. It's realistic. Like when you're at a point in your life and everybody, I mean, most people, when you're like excited and everything's going well, like you start getting excited about even like small stuff that you like wouldn't even take two thoughts about if you weren't in such a good mood, you know? So Mm -hmm. apply that to the maximum for Jack and Fabrizio here where now they get a ticket to America. They're so happy. and, And James Cameron does such a great job at showcasing their opportunistic mindset to where you can't even they can't even you know they can't even fathom uh disaster what's gonna happen yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so um that's cool when i was a kid the scene would always make me happy as i've gotten older this scene makes me cry it's sad yeah because it's just it's so beautiful and it's really like that first time that we really get to see Titanic truly sailing yeah. for the first time in color on film in a Titanic movie. Because they give us that that first real shot that we see of it sailing. It's just the ocean is blue. It's just so beautiful. And you can see like tiny computer generated uh uh, Jack and Fabrizio on the bow um, and then all the other little computer generated people populating the ship which mm-hmm. when I watch it digitally like even just on my phone which is so small um, I can clearly see that those people are fake yeah. like they look like sims and some of them are like hovering over the ground like they're not even like actually on the ground um because you know they filmed a small scale (laughs) model on a stage and then they added these computer generated people in post to populate it because obviously they weren't sailing the giant stationary ship they built when i saw it again on the big screen on film i did not notice anything i did not notice like any of the computer graphics at all like everything looked so real especially the sinking sequence i expected the sinking sequence to look worse on film yeah well when the quality is better you notice like flaws in in the technicalities yeah but i mean but it wasn't like the quality on film was bad like it's no still yeah looked... but it's it's raw it's more raw though i think yeah yeah it's not like remastered or um anything yeah. like that or touched up, mm-hmm. yeah. And like the color grading wasn't all tampered yeah, with and exactly. everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because when you res- when you're transferring something to digital, I mean, I think you have to colorize it to a degree. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I don't, I don't know a ton about video editing or anything, but uh, yeah, I didn't notice anything. And part of the sinking sequence literally took my breath away. Like I genuinely gasped because of how powerful and amazing it was. 
just seeing it, I was like, holy crap, no wonder people went insane over this in 1997. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. But these little sim-like people, I didn't notice them as much. And I um, have to take a... I didn't really notice that when I watched it. I have to look at it. But yeah, you know, uh, Captain Smith and uh, Officer Murdoch, they're so happy and proud right now, right? Like you, you, you sense that... That they're really conquering something right yeah. now. You know what I mean? They're like, we are conquering the seas right now. Yeah. Like, we are sailing this thing. Yeah, it's just that whole idea of, you know, nothing bad could happen right now. We're just on top of the world. Another thing, I was watching the historical commentary for the movie with historians Don Lynch and Ken Marshall. And they were saying how, as they're showing all the different shots of Titanic and, you know, the inner workings of it, there's a lot of new technology, but it's still very labor intensive. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have people, you know, shoveling coal and everyone needing to be down in the um, engine control room, like running around and doing all this stuff. There's like an actual mm-hmm. engine from a ship, I think, that they see, filmed it in. They filmed different engines from other ships and then they filmed miniature engines. Okay. Four inch tall engines, I think they filmed, and then they, you know, superimposed men running around them and, and stuff like that, okay. which you can't even tell that either, honestly. No, that was really good. Yeah, that it's was really insane. Good. That's another thing that I wrote about this scene is that much like other scenes in the movie, it's constantly switching techniques. So it's switching from the real life full scale model to green screen to computer generated people to smaller models to all this other stuff from cut to cut to cut to cut so that when you see it all together like that it's impossible to really pinpoint what was real what was fake your brain's being tricked a little bit yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it, and it's perfect though because I mean that's 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 the way you do it right you don't want to stay on one technique for too long yeah we're so used to how things are the way we see them in movies mm-hmm. whether or not it was actually looked like that or like the mechanics of something were like that we know it as how we usually see it in movies so we're not gonna think twice about something if the technique used is something we've seen a million times exactly yeah I thought of it as you know today, most movies rely on CGI for like everything, right? Yeah. And so you go see one of these superhero movies, whatever, you're looking at like nothing but CGI no, ser- for, no, honestly, for sequences and sequences at a time. Even in the the newest Avengers movie, like the actual just suits they wore were CGI, and it didn't look like CGI. That was actually really well done, but they just didn't have the costumes ready in time, and it was just mm. easier for them to make it computer generated but you couldn't even tell but it's crazy how much stuff is cgi yeah now. especially like black panther which looked terrible some of the cgi <laughs> oh my gosh looked, i mean i love that movie but the cgi was probably the worst i've seen in a long time there was a video essay on youtube that was like is cgi getting worse yeah <laughs> i didn't watch the whole thing yet but i I'm gonna think it's that. just that it's getting too reliant on it there are ways to do it so quickly versus like mm-hmm. the, the long way that i taking think, your time yeah, yeah i think it has to do with rushed release dates and stuff like that mm-hmm. I, more so and budget more so than uh actual just laziness yeah yeah but uh, i think it's yeah it's, in certain degrees is getting better but i think people should use more practical effects and it, i think it, it shows how in movies that do do it every once in a while like mad max did a ton the new mad max did a ton of practical effects a few years ago mm-hmm. and it looks so cool 
definitely overuse of CGI, I think, now. Mm-hmm. It is. And we're, uh, sadly, we're getting kind of used to it. Most of the I mean, majority of people are getting used to it, oh, unfortunately. Yeah. The React channel on YouTube, Fine mm-hmm. Brothers or whatever, they oh, put yeah, up yeah. adults react to the highest grossing movies of all time. And one of the kids, he said, um, well, one of the kids, he's probably like in his 20s, um, you know, all of the top 10 that they showed them were superhero movies and Star Wars. Like, that was it. And Fast and the Furious, I think. And then Titanic. And then Titanic. And one of the guys, he goes, you know, he finishes watching the trailer and he says, They're going to watch that movie 500 years from now. People are still going to be watching it. They might not be watching the Marvel movies. I'm sorry, Marvel. But they will watch this movie. Even looking at it right now, it's just like goosebumps. It's too, I mean, there's too many Marvel movies too, so it's they'll just get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, when he said that, I was like, okay, facts though. That's true. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and agree with that. But I mean, yeah. we'll see what happens. But yeah, but I mean, Titanic does have the um, advantage of being about something historical. Which I think will definitely contribute to its legacy of being watched years and years and years down the line. Even 85 years later, a new movie was made about it, and it was the biggest movie ever, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure another 85 years from now, people will still be talking about it. Yeah, for sure. And the thing, too, about this movie that I think is really great is that it was made at the perfect time where... I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but it was made at the perfect time where it has that old Hollywood grandeur, but mixed with new school techniques and direction and writing in a way that it will continue to be relevant to newer generations um, in a way that the actual like old Hollywood movies won't be. You know what I mean? Titanic, as long as it is, but like it was necessarily long, but... um the pacing's so good and I think that's mm-hmm. just a result yeah it's a result of that time when like the pacing was getting really really uh, they're cutting out a lot of the, the unnecessary parts in movies mm-hmm. yeah but sure. it's not just that you know it's just the style of direction the cinematography oh yeah the mm-hmm. you know the writing even just the actors you know I think there's just a lot of things that work in the movie's favor mm-hmm. uh, contributing to its legacy and you know having the staying power oh yeah um of course, this scene ends with the iconic I'm the king of the world! <laughs> Which is amazing because that was an on-set ad-lib. Um, yeah, I read that. That's cool. By which for a while the story was going back and forth about oh it was James Cameron who decided on it or oh no Leo just shouted it spur of the moment uh but it was James Cameron he um I don't know I guess he I was reading it in the screenplay the illustrated screenplay he just felt like the scene needed an extra punch or something like something from Jack to like really drive it home how happy and optimistic he was mm. which for me was always very symbolic of how all the passengers must have felt you know they were all probably feeling that way you know they're, they're all heading to a new life there were lots of passengers that were looking to start a new life in America and you know they're on the grandest ship and he was right to try to have a moment like that happen uh, James Cameron just did an interview with the BBC. It was called The Movies That Made Made Me, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a podcast too, I think. Yeah, but it was it was like a sit down interview and he okay. talked about 
mainly Titanic was this whole video. And he had talked about the King of the World line. The point is it was made up on the spot. <laughs> yeah, made up on the spot. Mm -hmm. I, was in a, I was in a crane basket mm -hmm. and we were losing the light and we had tried this and we had tried that and tried this line and that line and nothing was really working. And I, I literally was just coming up snake eyes and I said, all yeah. right, you, I got one for you. Just say, I'm the king of the world, and just spread your arms out wide and, and just just be in the moment and just love it and celebrate the moment. And he goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting this over the walkie-talkie. What? I said, I'm the king of the world. Just say, I'm the king of the world. But you got to sell it. Yeah. He goes, what? So then he gets up there. And, and <laughs> Do you want to be part of film history or not, Leo? <laughs> say the line. Exactly. <laughs> right? Anyway, the rest is history. It's funny how many, like, how many iconic lines were improvised? Mm -hmm. Like uh, also, like the uh, in Midnight Cowboy when he says, "I'm walking here," that was improvised. Yep. It's just crazy. How many lines were improvised that were like everyone knows? This movie's iconography or whatever, it just happened. It's like you can't like set out to make this stuff happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just crazy that it happened not once, not twice, but like 15 times with this movie. Yeah. Like so many of the scenes and lines and stuff. It's just insane. And again, the fact that this was just a spur of the moment thing from James Cameron where he's like, eh, I feel like this scene needs a little extra. I doubt he was thinking, yeah, this is going to be one of yeah. the most quoted lines in the history of cinema. It's organic. And that's like, and that's why like we've talked about before, like when they do these reboots of things, it, there's a certain sense of, uh, like it feels contrived a little bit. Yes. And like, mm -hmm. you're just not going to have that same like organic feel like the original stuff like that. It just proof you're just so in the moment and you're not thinking about living up to anything or how big you're going to be necessarily, but you're just trying to make a good movie. And yeah, it's crazy how, how mm -hmm. big that stuff gets. Yep. As I was thinking, you know, about all the different references in the movie, just as of late, I am fully convinced that Titanic is probably the most referenced standalone movie of all time. Like non-sequel or non-franchise. Non-sequel, yeah. non-franchise, because I swear to God, this isn't just because I'm aware of this stuff. I have not been able to go two days is, is the rough, I would say amount of time that I have not been able to go without seeing a Titanic reference made online, really? in the news, or on TV. Interesting. I kid you not. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of something else. It used to maybe be like Wizard of Oz was pretty referenced. I mean, every day I see people reference this. Yeah. And it's, and it's immediately relevant. Everyone knows. It's just something that no one has ever stopped referencing yeah, these days for the last 22 years. These days, I'm trying to think of something. Yeah, there's not a lot. Of, there's not really anything else that I can think of. I swear to you, it's been insane. And like just the other day, my mom and I, we were watching Disney Channel, as we do. And it was a, you know, a current Disney show. And the father on the show owns a bike shop. And he was like riding through the store on a bike. And he goes, I'm the king of the store, or whatever. <laughs> With his arms outstretched, like riding on a bike on Disney Channel. And I'm like, what is this? This is 2019 Disney Channel referencing I'm the king of the world. That's funny. And it's not like Disney owns it. At least I don't it, and, and it's like, do they expect the kids to understand that reference too? Yeah, like, that's funny. you know what I mean? It's just so crazy. And so there's like that. And then I see it on the news 
every few days, like, especially because I watch, like, entertainment news, they're, like, always throwing in a random Titanic reference for no reason. I'm like, what are you doing? There's usually a meme every so often. Yeah. When any, like, big moment happens, sports moments, TV moments, pretty much soon after there will be a better with titanic music meme that comes out where they'll like take a scene or a sports moment and they'll put my heart will go on over it uh, there you go. and those always go viral just just little things everywhere i look yeah there was a news story the other day about how um like a mall in mexico started flooding um, and then there was a band oh, that was there playing, and then the band impromptu started playing the Titanic theme as that's the mall great. was flooding. And I'm like, and that story went viral. And it's just, it's crazy. Huh. Until they make a Titanic sequel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's funny. But yeah, I, I truly believe that now at this point. I've, it, I've seen too much as of late that it's just getting ridiculous that's to me. That's funny. That's probably, you're probably right. I'm I'm officially convinced. Keep your eyes peeled, man. You'll notice. Yeah, no, now I'm going to notice it all the time. Even Leo just recently was promoting Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like last week, and oh, yeah, yeah. MTV asked him about the stupid debate about whether or not Jack could fit on the piece of wood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would you ask Leonardo DiCaprio this 22 years after the fact? So you don't <laughs> think he gets asked that all the time? It's the oldest... Thing, just let it go. Oh <laughs> and then as soon as that interview started going around, all the stupid debates were breaking out again on the comment section. It's we're 22 years in, and people are. Yeah, still... I'm not tired. I'm not tired of talking about that yet. <laughs> people are still talking about it. It's crazy. That's funny. I mean, that's that's basically everything for that scene. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just when he shouts, "I'm the king of the world," and that score swells. And there are these cellos. They're just super low and super warm and round. Right when he's, you know, he's like, I'm the king of the world. And it's like. Oh, yeah. Cellos, are, the cellos are killer. Oh, there's that one little part. And it just gives me chills every single time because the score is building, 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 building. And then it releases right as he shouts that. It's breathing while he's shouting that but it still feels very um you know it's very strong and and powerful and it's just that moment when he yells that and then he just like spreads his arms and just like closes his eyes and tilts his head back and his coat is blowing in the wind and they cut from like a few different angles at a time of him there doing that and this score is playing it just it really makes me cry because i'm just thinking of all of the emotions that are wrapped up in that and again, in relation to the Titanic, it's just, it just makes me cry. My favorite part of the score is probably something that could never be done. Well, not could never be done, but in this day and age would never be done is the, the like chorus synthesizer. Yes, like, yes. Ah, 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 ah. I love that part. And like, yeah. no one would ever, no one could get away with doing that now because it was so like in its time, but. But it um, sounds great. Yo, it sounds amazing. That's my favorite. It, it gives me chills every single time. And mm-hmm. I like it when they play, when I watched it again, and I think they show the captain like overlooking the sea or something uh, like that. And yep. I was like, holy cow. That's so cool. And it's yes. the reason why it's like my favorite score of all time. It gives me chills every time. It's so every good. Mm. Seriously. Oh, yeah. I love it so much. I'm just trying to think if there's any, if there's any other thing 
Oh, yeah, and of course, they throw in that moment of humor right before that with Fabrizio. I can see the statue of Riveti already. Very small, of course. <laughs> Very small, of course. Oh, Fabrizio. Oh, God, he's the best. Can't wait for your spinoff movie. Oh, man. And, yeah, and I buy every minute of that scene, too. Like, because there were moments where they're filming right off the coast of the ocean, so you see the real ocean and the sun like shining mm. right behind Leo on a lot of those shots and it's yeah. ugh, it's just it's beautiful do they film it in, in England or what uh no in Mexico oh, okay probably yeah. more temperate weather they built a whole studio the Fox Baja Mexico studios I'm pretty sure they built this whole studio holy cow just to film this movie and now they have that studio that they use for other things now but wow. it came into existence because of Titanic yeah Anyway, but yeah, and then it does the helicopter sweep of the Titanic from front to back with all the little computer-generated people. Um, but that's a beautiful scene, too, and that's yeah. every trick in the book, uh, you know, put together to pull that scene off with the, you know, the water um, being digitally added and shot, like, it's footage, like, shot off of, like, real wakes and, and stuff from ships all composited together it just looks beautiful, and the sound editing is so good, too. Yeah. It's over the smoke funnels, and you hear it so loud as it, you know, travels past each thing, and you hear little birds chirping, and it's really, really good. It puts you there, and you just, you, you, that scene truly is an ode to Titanic. You, yeah, it's, I know I've said this word a lot, but it is, like, it's magical. Every single, when, especially, like, a scene like this where it just showcases the whole ship and, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it gives you goosebumps, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, the final shot is just Titanic from the back just continuing to sail away as the, as the score wraps up, and we get a voiceover from Ismay going into the next scene. Yeah. Uh, so, that's about it for Ode to Titanic. We will see you guys in the next scene. So be sure to follow us on all the socials. Links will be in the description of this podcast episode. Leave us a voicemail via Anchor. Write us an email. We'll either play your voicemail at the beginning of our episodes or, um, you know, read an email from you at the beginning of our episodes. I really want to start doing that. I think it will be really kind of fun. And yeah, that's about it. So we'll see you guys in the next scene. See you.